Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all here today as we are uh, heading into our final week on this series that we have been calling Promise Maker. And before we jump into that, I want to take just a moment because today actually marks something pretty significant. And it snuck up on a lot of people, and a lot of people maybe just haven't kept tabs on it, but today actually marks our 60th anniversary as a church. And so, in, in a, go, go ahead, that's good. We're actually going to celebrate that a little bit later on during this summer as we get some time to be able to prepare. And it's just another one of those great opportunities to celebrate what God has done as we look towards what God is still yet to do in the life of this church. And it's, it's a beautiful opportunity in those moments to be able to bring them both together and to be able to stand kind of at the, on the bridge of, of the past and the future and to be able to celebrate the Lord together. And so we plan on doing that uh, during this summer, but I wanted to take a moment and at least acknowledge the fact God has been good. Can I get an amen on that? So as we wrap up our series today, I want to remind you that God has made you some promises. And when God makes promises, he keeps his promises. He always keeps them, Scripture says. And God has made some core promises to you. We've looked at these four core promises that God made some 3,500 years ago. To his people, and they still stand today. And I'd like to begin today by looking at these promises one more time during this series. So you could look on the screen or join me in your notes today. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And it says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And here's the first promise I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And then he promises, I will free you from being slaves to them. His third promise, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And finally, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And this final section of this passage, um, as, as we have uh, oftentimes, we've stopped right here as we, we do in our, our slide here. But there's one final piece of this passage that I want to read today, and then we're going to back up and, and look at promise number four. But it says, then you will know that I am the Lord. And I want, to, I want to encourage you in this. As we go through these four promises, and we, we tackle promise number four today. When these four promises are fulfilled in your life, Scripture says, then you will know that I am the Lord. These are powerful things that we've talked about over the course of the last three weeks. This is week number four. Promise number one was the promise of salvation, where God said that he wanted to rescue you from this yoke, getting you out of your current situation, even before he begins to do a work in you. And how many of you guys would be bold enough to say, God's got a lot of work to do in my life still? Before he even got there, before he ever asked you to raise your hand, he said, I just want to get you out from under that yoke, because that's not what I created you for. That's the promise of salvation. Promise number two is the promise of freedom, gaining this internal freedom from bondage within. So, so God got them out of Egypt, and now he needs to get Egypt out of them. And that's the promise of freedom that he made. Promise number three we talked about last week. It's the promise of restoration. 
when God said, I will stoop down and I will reach with my outstretched arm and I will pull you out of the pit and I will put you back on the path that I created for you. And he promised to restore or redeem. And this week is our final promise as we wrap up this series. Now promise number four, and it is really somewhat of a culmination of these first three promises. In fact, it's the reason the first three promises were given to lead us up to this point. And so this week is really significant. I hope you're listening. I hope your ears are tuned in, as my dad would say, because this is all to lead us to this point, and it is the promise of fulfillment. Promise number four, the promise of fulfillment in your life. So I want to begin this message today with a statement that's going to sound overly simplistic. How many of you guys like simple statements, okay? Let's be honest here, okay? But this statement, though it sounds very simple, is really monumental. In fact, it's, it's massive, and I want you to grab this, and I want you to be able to take this in in its entirety, because I believe that the devil has lied to a lot of people. And the statement is this, God always intended for you to live a life of fulfillment. It was his plan all along that you would experience abundant life. His ultimate plan from the very beginning was for you to live life to the fullest. And yet many people settle for so much less. So much less, and yet that's what promise number four is about. Most people see life as being good as long as bad things aren't happening. But that falls far short of God's plan for you. In fact, Scripture tells us this, John chapter 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now listen to this. But my purpose, this is Jesus, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. I like to read out of the New American Standard a lot of times, and I love how it calls this abundant life. This is the promise that God has made to you, abundant life. The passage tells us that the devil has a plan. He wants to steal your dreams. He wants to kill the potential. He wants to destroy everything around you in your life. But it's important for you to recognize that God's purpose for you is life to the fullest. In fact, the ultimate goal of these four promises is to get you to live your abundant life. I'm going to do something new with you guys. Would you repeat something after me? Would you do this? You ready? Warmed up? <clears throat> Clear your throat? No, do it a little louder than that. <clears throat> ready? I want you to say, I have abundant life. Ready? One, two, three. I have abundant life. That is what Jesus Christ came to bring you and you have it it's yours and it's the life that we all long for and it's the life that God intended from the very beginning it's why these four promises were made to get you to this place and yet very very few people actually live it out so if this is God's plan for us why do so many people live unfulfilled lives I want to give you three reasons this morning why I believe this happens it's obviously not an exhaustive list, but I want you to look at these three things. The first, 
that happens is, is it happens when we let our past cripple us. It hinders the abundant life when we let our past cripple this. And I've said this, uh, cripple us. I've said this several times in the past few weeks. Many people are still struggling with the guilt of yesterday. Even after I've preached on it a couple of times. Even after I've repeated it numerous times. Listen, if you're like me, it takes a while. But we still are struggling with the guilt of yesterday. The psalmist tells us, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden that's too heavy to bear. He goes on and says, I'm bowed down and brought low. Now we've talked about how God wants to lift you up, but the devil wants to bring you low. God wants to reach down and redeem your life from the pit, but the devil wants to keep you there. And so he keeps reminding you of your past mistakes. Many of us go through life looking in the rearview mirror more than we're looking in the windshield in front of us. And it's one of the things that God is adamant about, that he continually calls his people forward. He calls his church forward. Now, don't, don't mix this up with what I talked about at the very beginning when we said we want to celebrate the past, but we're not living there anymore. Because one of the things that God continually does in Scripture is he calls his church forward. It doesn't mean you can't celebrate. It doesn't mean you can't look back, but you're not living there. And there's a lot of times when we look back and we realize, holy cow, I've made some major mistakes in my life. Can anybody, can I get an amen on that? Come on. I've made some major mistakes in my life. I'm glad I don't live there anymore. I'm glad that Jesus has set me free from those, that he's forgiven me, he's redeemed me, and I don't, I'm not bound by that any longer. See, our problem is that many of us still feel defined by our past. We feel defined by our mistakes, and it cripples us. The devil knows it. In fact, he doesn't just know it, it's actually his plan for your life. Because he knows that you'll never step into your future until you can settle your past. You cannot live, you cannot let your past keep you from God's abundant life. So listen, here's what you got to do. I'm going to say it one more time before this series is done. Deal with it. Deal with it. Give it to the Lord. Repent. Do whatever it takes and then move forward in God's plan for your life. Can I get an amen? I mean, we're all in that same boat right now, okay? The second problem is when we let culture define us. So in other words, we're following a script for our life, but it's not God's script for our life. We've been lured away by a counterfeit or a substitute plan. And again, that's Satan's strategy, to find a way to define you that's contrary to God's plan or God's identity for you. And it keeps you from finding God's script for your life. That's what we're searching for. It's what, it's what we're longing for. What is God's plan for me? And if the devil can keep you from that, he succeeded. And our culture will try to define who you are. 
it will try to, rather than letting God define you, um, culture will try to. And here's what we recognize about culture. And you can argue whether culture's in the garbage pan or it's crawling out or it's, it's high on a mountain peak. You can argue all of these things if you want. But here's one thing that we know for certain. Culture is centered around pleasing men, not pleasing God. But Scripture calls us very clearly that we're to go after the approval of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, this is what we have to be able to break through and, and not let culture define our life. We have to find out what God thinks of us, how he defines us, how he created us. We have to be consumed with pleasing him. We have to care more about what God thinks than what people think. Now, that's really difficult because guess what? You have to live with people. You have to live with people. And so it is important that you're honoring people, that you're listening to people, that you're valuing them. But our priority is to honor the Lord first, to please him first, to seek him first. And that means above everything. We can't let anything else define us. The last reason why we miss out on the abundant life happens when we try to do it all alone. So let me ask you this question. Why would you try to do it all alone? I think I can answer it for you. Because you've tried doing it with people and they're a pain. You've tried. You know what a lot of pastors say about ministry? They love it except for the people. Now, you probably heard that about your job. I mean, it applies to a lot of different things, right? I, I, love, I love serving people except for the people. And why is that? Well, because they're human just like I am. We make our mistakes. We carry our baggage. God's trying. He's working on us. He's trying to clean us up. He's trying to help. He's doing his part. He's asking us to do our part. But we still are imperfect people serving a perfect Savior who's shaping us, defining us. And we've tried to work with people before, and there's been conflict. And what happens when conflict happens? Most people say, I'm just not going to do that anymore. In fact, you've probably worked for bosses who say, I'm just going to do it myself because I let an employee try it once and they made a mistake, and so now I'm doing it on my own. People condition themselves. You condition yourself. I let my son mow the lawn for the very first time. He butchered it. Guess what my first tendency was to do? I'm He's not ever doing that again. He's going to kill it. We try working with people. And people, we're one of them. They're hard to work with at times. They make mistakes, and it sometimes is just, it's frustrating. But this is God's plan, 
And we're going we're to jump into this a little bit. Why would you jump into something that's uncomfortable? Because it's actually digging deep enough to find out and uncover why God made it this way, what his plan and his purpose is. But his, the devil's plan is this. We know that the devil's plan for your relationships is to try to get you to distrust people. Try to make you suspicious of relationships. Try to keep yourself guarded. But God designed his plan for you to be fulfilled with the help of others. So the devil's desire is that you would never trust anyone and therefore live your life alone and unfulfilled. And you see that the devil has a plan. He's got a strategy in all of these things. He tries to keep you from trusting people because he knows that you actually need people in your life to be fulfilled, to live that abundant life that God called you to. You actually need people. Listen, guys, let that soak in. All of you lone rangers out there, you actually need people to fulfill God's call in your life to live the abundant life. You need people. God created you that way. That's what promise number four is about because you can never be fulfilled by yourself. True fulfillment can't come alone. Ecclesiastes has this this short passage in in chapter four, verse eight, that just kind of accents this point. It says, there was a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil, meaning he worked hard, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He made money, he toiled, he labored, yet he was discontented. He was doing it all alone. And I think you know that there is something that is missing when you see a beautiful sunrise and you're all alone. When you... well. I've never done this before. When you hit a hole in one, I've never even eagled before. If you hit an eagle and you're all by yourself and nobody saw it, you have no one to celebrate with. There's something that's missing. Because God actually created you for community. That's why the church family is so powerful. That's why God intended it to be that way. That's why I can argue with people who say, I love Jesus, but I don't need to go to church. Oh, yes, you do. In order to fulfill his call on your life, you need to be a part of a body. God actually created you that way. He made you that way. And you're not going to find fulfillment until you get plugged in to that family, into that body. This passage here uh, that, that we talked about is just uh, this guy, was, he was missing something and what he was missing was community he was missing family he was missing relationship and that's what this promise number four is all about how do we find fulfillment rather than emptiness rather than discontentment how do we find fulfillment so let's look at this promise together this is our final promise in our series promise number four and it's found in exodus chapter six verse seven it says i will take you as my own people and i will be your god jewish people call this promise the hallel hallel is a hebrew word that means to celebrate it's where we get the word hallelujah from 
Hallelujah, the Yah is for Yahweh, it's for God. Hallel is to celebrate. So hallelujah is to celebrate God. That's why we say it. Anybody just, you've been saying words that you don't know what they mean? You ever done that before? Hallelujah, hallelujah is to celebrate God. And this promise is called the, the, the promise of Hallel. It's a celebration. But it's more than a, a celebration like singing or a moment of worship, like when we come together. That's a, it's a moment of worship there. But it's more than that. To live a Hallel life is to live life to the fullest. It's a, a, a wholeness that's inside. It's a, it's a, full, a fulfilled life. It's a celebrated life, a fulfilled life. And let me say this to you. Anything less than this Hallel life is less than what God has for you. It's less than what God has for you. Don't settle for less. Go after this Hallel. But the question of the day then becomes... What brings fulfillment? What brings fulfillment in life? I think it's important how God worded his final promise here. Just like last week, I just want to kind of zone in on it a little bit more, just piece by piece. If we can go back to that passage here, Ephesians or Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, the first part says, I will take you as my own people, right there. God didn't say that I will make you a fulfilled person. He promised to make you a fulfilled people. And that's because ultimate fulfillment comes first when you're a part of a family, when you're a part of a team. And this is God's promise to make you a part of his family. He's saying, I've got the best family. I've got the best team And I promise to make you a part of it. This is what people are looking for all around the world. To belong to something. And they don't even know what they're looking for. They they really don't even know what they want to belong to. They just want to belong. And God says, I put that desire in you. I created you. I know that's in there. Because I made it. And I will take you, and I will make you a part of the best group, the best family, the best team. That's my promise to you, to make you a part of my family. The second part of this passage then goes on to say, then I will be your God. See, God makes this promise to get involved in your life and to give you something that truly matters. You see, ultimately, this fourth promise, this fourth promise of fulfillment is about living beyond yourself, being a part of a family and making a difference because God is on your side. So these first three promises are all about getting you to this place, right here where we're at today. So don't miss the significance of this. God did all of those other things in order to get you to be a part of his family and to fulfill his purpose in you. It's what salvation is all about. It's what freedom is all about. That's what redemption is all about. Getting you to this critical place, this significant moment where he says, I'll make you a part of my people and I'll be your God. Because in this promise, 
He has redeemed a relationship that was broken way back in the Garden of Eden. There was a separation that happened. Sin entered the world, and it was broken. And there was a separation, and God's four promises lead to this point, and now this relationship will be restored. This is what it has all been about. I want you to feel the weight of this. I want you to feel the significance of this this promise that it all has come to this point, to become a part of something significant, something eternal. And I'm going to say this again. Don't settle for anything short of this promise, this halal life, this fulfilled life. So there are three pieces that I want to look at as we close today. Three pieces to this promise of fulfillment. The first one is that it begins with a calling. This promise of fulfillment begins with a calling. Every one of us has to realize that we're a part of this. That means that ultimately this can't happen as God intended it if you don't participate. If you refuse to stay home from the party, God can't fulfill this promise if you choose not to participate in in his family. I'm not talking about church membership here. I'm talking about jumping into the life that he has for you, the relationships, this family, this body that he's talking about. And I've heard a lot of people say this. I've heard them say, you're the preacher. You're the one with the call of God on your life. Listen, we all have the call of God on our life. It looks very different for each one of us, but we're all called by him. How do I know that? Let's look at, first, at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It tells us God saved us, and then he what? He called us. He saved us, and then he called us to this holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea, a gift he prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. We're called by God, and it's critical that you realign yourself to that. Because what we do is we align ourselves to certain things as we go through life. There's certain areas that we're, okay, this is, I'm going to head that direction. This, this looks right for me and my family. I'm going to go that way. This is, this is good for me. Listen, God has a calling for you, and it is critical that you realign yourself to his calling, to his purpose. Does that mean he wants you to quit your job? Probably not. That, that's not, you know, does, does it mean that you got to, you know, quit meeting with your bridge club? Probably not. It's not like he's trying to get rid of people in your life. He's trying to get your calling established firmly, and you've got to realign yourself with his calling. And here's what that calling is. It's the calling to make an eternal difference. People will lose their way when they lose their why. They start to drift when they lose their purpose what this calling is. You've got to know why you're on this planet. You're called by God. Number two is that it stands on a cause. It stands on a cause. This, this, uh, this abundant life, this, this promise of fulfillment, this hallel stands on a cause. Because this, this cause is not about climbing mountains or collecting stamps. Those are hobbies. And sometimes we get consumed with our hobbies. We get consumed with things like that. And those aren't bad, but they aren't your calling from God. Because your calling is to do something that makes an eternal difference. 
In fact, Scripture calls us to align ourselves with the cause of Christ. It's about his kingdom. Our cause is to be focused on what he is focused on. And what's he focused on? He's focused on people and changed lives. Everything is about people and their lives being changed for eternity's sake. Everything else, as my good friend when I was growing up would say, everything else is going to burn. That's what he would say. Oh, don't worry about it, Patrick. It's just going to burn. What was he saying? It's not eternal. It's not eternal. We labor and we toil much of our life with things that are going to burn. That's not what God ultimately put us here for. Now, this kind of stuff, it steps on your toes. And it makes you uncomfortable. And sometimes it frustrates you with the preacher. Because he's saying that some of the things that you do aren't important. And nobody likes to be told that. 90% of the stuff in my home is not important. And I'm okay with that. I still have it. It's not important stuff. If my home went up in flames, um, I, there's a few items that I would go after. And they're not the most expensive ones. You know what I'm talking about. There are things that really matter. And then there's a lot of stuff it doesn't. But God's got a cause for you. And it's the thing that matters most because it affects people's eternity. i got to keep moving on here. Do something that makes an eternal difference. Use your job, use your family, use your house, use your money, your talents. Use them. Do the things that you love to do and enjoy that. But ultimately, God blessed you with those things so that you could make an eternal difference in this world. So do something that makes an eternal difference. Here's the last one, the last piece. And you can't ignore this one, okay? The final piece is that it spreads from me to we. So we're coming full circle back to the fact that we actually need one another. I know, you're looking at the person beside you and you're like, oh crud, I'm relying on that guy? Yeah, you are. You're reliant upon one another to fulfill what God has called you to. People who serve realize they can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. You can't do it all by yourself. You might try, but you can't. And I'll tell you this, it's really no fun doing it by yourself either. You're missing out on how God wired you. You can't discover God's best or offer your best until you find your, your place, you find your team, you find your tribe, you find your family, you find your whatever you want to call it, but God has called you to this, and that's God's promise to make you a part of his people. Serving was never meant to happen alone. It was meant to do it in the context of community. We serve together. We worship together. That's how God created us. Ecclesiastes says it best. It says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Listen, not only is it more enjoyable, but there is more fruit. It produces more. John 15 tells us, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is part of that Hallel life. Producing fruit is one of those keys. 
And we've got to be able to do it in the context of community. So let's, let's put this together. Promise number four tells us God wants to fulfill us by placing us in something that's making a difference and surrounding us with people that are making a difference. That's his calling, and that's his invitation in promise number four. His desire for your life, it's what he has always wanted. It's redeeming you. It's getting you back to the reason why he created you, the whole purpose of this relationship with him. He wanted you to be in relationship with him. He wanted you to be a part of his family. He wanted to be your God. He wanted you in the context of community. He wanted you fulfilling his plan and purposes for your life. He wanted you making an eternal difference in this world. And so he made four promises to walk you back into that plan for you. And that's what this Promise Maker series has been about. And we've come to the end of it. We've come to the end of it. And yet there's always this, this nagging feeling of, but God, I don't want you to stop what you started talking about. What you have begun to do inside of me, I don't want you to, to, to stop. I want you to finish the work that you have begun. And that's my prayer for you. That as God continues to whisper in your spirit, as he continues to whisper through people around you, and as you realize that there's things, as, as the Holy Spirit brings into remembrance things that you need to let go of, community that you need to engage in, the gifts that God has given you that he gave you for a reason, that he wants you to use for his kingdom, as the Holy Spirit is whispering that you would simply be obedient to him. Because our series is done, does not mean that God is done. Listen, guys. My prayer is that God has just begun. We might be finished with the series, but God has just begun. And he sent his son, Jesus, to make all this happen. So we've talked about these four promises, and every one of these four are fulfilled in his son, Jesus. The promise of salvation, the promise of freedom, the promise of, of uh, restoration, and the promise of fulfillment are all found in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never, um, you've never accepted Jesus into your life, that's the starting point. That's how you get the ball rolling. Okay, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you've never said yes to Jesus, we're just going to take a brief minute here and we're going to give you a chance to do that right now. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, again, this is just a holy moment between you and the Lord. If you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, then I invite you to pray this prayer for me, or pray this prayer with me. You can say, Jesus, I... I have tried to find fulfillment in a lot of places, but now I turn to you. And Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would become the Lord of my life from this day forward. I ask that you'd place me back on that path of your purpose and that you would help me to fulfill your call in my life. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. A short prayer, but a significant step you. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to ask you to do something, a real quick favor for me. On the back of the connection card that's in your bulletin today, there's a, a box that says yes. If you take a moment to just check that and say, yes, I said yes to Jesus today. At the end of our service, we're going to have some prayer teams up here. And here's what I'd like to invite you to do. Come forward, receive prayer, but to give those guys that card and let them pray for you specifically as we celebrate what Christ has done in your life today. 
So we're going to close, and we're going to transition into communion right now. And here's where we're at once again, is we've come to this point where God has made these commitments, these, these promises to you, and they actually are embodied in communion itself. He made these four promises that the Jewish people celebrate in Passover. And Jesus, you might call, he, he, he stepped in and, and he, he changed the game. In the midst of celebrating Passover with his disciples, he said, this cup is different. This cup is my blood that shed for you. This cup is the fulfillment of this redemption. All of these promises that Jesus made, that God made, are, are fulfilled in, in his son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate that, and we're going to reflect on that here. Let's pray as we close. Lord, we thank you again for your love for us, for the promises that you've made to us. And our desire is, Lord, that you really have just gotten started. This promise of salvation, the promise of freedom, the promise of restoration, the promise of fulfillment that are all found in your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, we ask that you would do your complete work in us so that we can do our complete work for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all.